What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast, the official podcast of MetalNexus.net, where you can get all your concert reviews, show photos, and going-ons in the metal and hard rock world. And with me, as always, is Daniel Terry. How are you doing this afternoon, early evening? I'm doing great, man. I'm not at work. That's the best part of it. Dude, you don't even know. You don't even know. I have two energy drinks open in front of me. That's how my day is gone. And they're not even sugar. They have no sugar in them. So, I mean, it's not really... Is it really an energy drink when there's no sugar in it? I'm working on number two, beer number two. But, yeah, uh, it can be an energy drink depending on whatever they put in it, Mm. which is usually like toxic sludge. But then they're like, it's actually healthy for you. I mean, it has no sugar and no calories. So, I mean, you know. Yeah, but, like, at what cost? Uh, You know what? It's got to be better than beer. I I disagree. I'm trying, Dan. I'm trying to go... (laughs) A little over a month without drinking. I know. I'm sorry. I'm not making it very easy on you. I'm like, yeah. check out this 311 beer I just got. Yeah. Well, you know, you'll have to crack one open and tell me how it is. Come uh, original yeah. with your uh, reviews. I think it's going to be the color of my energy. Well, I mean, one of them was amber, so. Yeah, let's see. There's amber, and then there's I'll Be Here a While. So, yeah, even better. So it's honey apricot ale. I know. Uh, that's, the one, that's the one I wanted, actually, was, uh, was that one, because it sounded good. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to crack those open, but I, I can't do it uh, without Joe, or he'll be really upset. So I won't be drinking any of those tonight. But uh, on Saturday, you guys will get the full scoop on discography discussion on, on that. Which uh, you'll then hear like a month later. <laughs> right, right, uh, yeah. Well, uh, special shout-out to Scott Bowling of Good Company for sending me the swag and the beer and all that good stuff. I mean, I now have good company Frisbees. I mean, really don't have a lot to complain about tonight. No. Uh, I Actually, speaking of uh, random swag and, and merch things and so forth, uh, I just got our tests, test proofs, I guess, for lack of a better term, of uh, our pins that I'm having designed. Enamel pins. I can't wait. Yeah. I uh, I told the person, a friend of mine that's making them, uh, Jay Wu, uh, f- you may know him, uh, former vocalist of uh, It Dies Today. Um, he started up like an ancillary uh, company called 1979 Designs, where he uh, makes enamel pins uh, for various companies and so forth. Typically, they're kind of booze-related and... Uh, in seeing a lot of people being into to different kinds of merch ideas, I mean, no one's going to our uh, our uh, merch store and buying stuff. But uh, you know, I thought maybe pins would be cool, something small and wouldn't cost a whole lot, and be a nice uh, free free word of mouth kind of buzz and so forth. Dude, and, I'm into uh, it. So we're uh, we're having some pins designed, and uh, hopefully by the time you listen to this, I'll have approved uh, of the final design to to run with, and we'll have some pre pre orders up. Um, I think they're gonna. I think we're gonna sell them for ten dollars plus shipping. Um, so all in all, not not terrible. I don't think. Yeah, I love it, man. I'm I'm all about it. And there's really, you know, not really a great segue from from talking about swag and all that kind of stuff. Uh, actually, here's here's one. How about this? Uh, speaking of swag, uh, our guest today is Corey Unger of Blood Has Been Shed. Uh, let me tell you, it was very interesting how this happened. Um, as you hear, Dan and I always plug at the end of our podcast episodes. You know, we. You know, plug that we're on all the podcast, major podcast uh, apps and so forth, and you know that we try to you know put things on YouTube uh, in hopes that maybe someone may stumble across the podcast and and keep listening in that medium. And uh, I get a notification uh, in my email, you know, when people comment on you know some of the episodes and so forth. And I got this message that was like really cool to hear people talk so positively about my dad's music. And I look at the thing and I click on it to go into YouTube, and I see the last name of Unger. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Corey's kid found this? Like, holy shit. And so I tell 
uh, Corey's kid, like, yo, thanks for checking this out. Let your dad know that I sent him a Facebook message like a year ago to come on the podcast. Right. Um, and then I think about 35 minutes after I sent that message on YouTube, I get a message from Corey on Facebook like, hey, thanks for, you know, all the nice things you said about uh, about me on the podcast and so on and so forth. And, you know, I was like, you know, open invite to come on the show yourself. And he was like, all right, let's, uh, let, you know, love to. Let's, let's figure out a time. And we did. And I got to say... Uh, considering I haven't heard anything from Corey in about 12 years, uh, my mind was pretty blown with how open he was, uh, about a lot of the questions that I had, uh, about Blood Has Been Shed and what happened to the band and what is happening with the music that we talked about, uh, in the newsmaking episode with Howard Jones. And, uh, I hope, I hope any Blood Has Been Shed fan that's coming and hearing this, uh, I hope you are as satisfied with the answers to some of the long standing questions that Howard kind of ducked a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. I think, I think we caught Howard off guard. I think that's the, one of the biggest things is we caught Howard off guard with those questions. We're like, Hey, I need you to go back now a few years, like a couple of decades maybe. And, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about blood has been shed. So I think he was thrown off. Whereas Corey, Corey came in knowing what to expect because Howard already suffered through the, unexpectedness of the questions yeah and you know i think something that was pretty interesting too and and you know i think this is something that you and i have you know really enjoyed kind of the in doing a podcast is getting to talk to some of these people who existed in a time before you know the internet and mm -hmm. i know sometimes when we say that you know it kind of dates us and, and you know people may not understand that like a band like blood has been shed came out so early in the day and age of the internet that, you know, you weren't getting like, you weren't going to blabbermouth to read about the latest going ons with, with blood has been shed. You right. know, you, you might go to a fanzine or something, but you know, you're not having direct access to all these people like you do now. And you're not definitely not having a, a platform to hear a long form interview with somebody. And that's kind of something that I've really enjoyed about this podcast is getting to talk to some of these people like the, you know, Nate from Finch, you know, Justin from Revis and so forth. And, you know, they may not be, people that you would expect to just blow up the internet but i can tell you that we get so many messages in regards to those two specific episodes of just like man thank you so much for this like i've always wondered what happened with finch and say hello to sunshine and now i got answers and it was really cool to to kind of remember that something that was just like a man i love this record or i love this band or i loved something about it that seems like you know no one really gives it it's just due to then hear people go like you know like this record kind of sucked and i hated it when it came out or these things or it i don't have information about this record but hey guess what i actually found on the internet this interview with so and so and, and this other guy and you know they talked about this record at length and you know it's kind of weird that you know some of these interviews whether they be ours or any podcast really you know these are kind of becoming like the new source material for actually like you have wikipedia but like anyone can go on wikipedia and make some shit up like this is kind of the way to set shit straight and kind of get stories that haven't been told yet and kind of really get that out there and i think that's what's really been cool about this and, and Corey was super gracious and gave us like an hour of his time yeah to, to not only talk about the blood has been sh blood has been shed how, you know something that i was kind of trepidatious in asking him was so when howard joined kill switch how did you feel about that yeah and he gave the answer that i kind of expected because like if i had a buddy that you know like hey you're in my band but you know this this bigger band just came calling i'd be like yeah dude you got i mean you got to do that you'll regret it for the rest of your life if you don't it is kind of interesting wondering it was kind of cool to hear Corey talk so explicitly about 
this music because I, you know something we had said in that that Howard episode was what do you think the new blood has been shed would have sounded like because where spirals ended up leaving off you know there was a lot of interesting sonic textures on that record and knowing that the no two records of theirs ever really sounded the same it really made me wonder where it was going and for Corey to say you know when we were writing it back then we were like oh this is probably going to be a record that's going to be appreciated 10 years after it came out and here we are over a decade later and now you know it makes me wonder like yo are you about ready to drop like a record that people are going to be like man this is like the coolest shit i've ever fucking heard and you're like yeah i've been sitting on it for like 12 years on my hard drive no big deal yeah, don't worry about it. I've got this great thing that you all want, and only I know about it. Apparently he has a secret to the brown note. <laughs> That'd be interesting. I mean, I've always wanted to just drop a shit right in the middle of a record, so there we go. I thought that was kind of cool. Like, I know we don't really do get into too much of the production technicality aspects of, of those things, but, you know, sometimes Corey, anyone who I've ever heard talk about Corey is just like he's such a, an abstract mind and is so articulate and everything has its place and so forth so the fact that you know talking to him about his tunings and stuff like that and just being like did you realize like how crazy that was back then that you had gear that really couldn't even handle it yeah but i like what he said too he's like yeah but even if i had the modern gear i'd find some way to try to be ahead of that too <laughs> and the fact that he's been struck by lightning twice too i forgot about that yeah so i mean it's a, it's kind of a dick thing to say but i get it well, speaking of a dick thing to say, uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, cut this rambling short because this is a longer interview. So let's get into my conversation with Corey Unger, and we'll talk to you all afterwards. So I have the pleasure uh, this uh, early evening of talking to Corey Unger, guitar player for Blood Has Been Shed. Uh, I don't think you have done anything else uh, that I would know of at this point. Uh, we, we'll get to that eventually, but uh, how are you doing? I'm doing great, yeah. I got to say, the... Uh the way that this this happened is very interesting. Um, you know, a lot of times when we post episodes and so forth, you know, we put them as many places as people can find them uh, in the hopes that people will find them maybe on YouTube, maybe on whatever podcatcher that, you know, is preferred for, by that person. And to get a message on YouTube by somebody that's like, oh, it's really cool to see my dad's music be appreciated. And I had to hurry up and look at the, because the, I just saw it in my email and I looked at the sure. last name and I was like, holy shit, Unger. I was like, wait. Yeah, is this, is this Corey's kid? And I was like, I did, a, I didn't know you had kids, or let alone let yeah. alone old enough to even like <laughs> respond to anything well, yeah. on YouTube. So it was just yeah. like, holy shit! Uh, tell your dad I sent him a Facebook message like a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah, you definitely have a better chance getting to meet through my son, who is a total metalhead, <laughs> and uh, you know, ironically, he he finds these things, and then I just I get a kick out of that as well. Uh, there was one night where he was he picked up and found a podcast with, uh, or an interview with, with Howard. This is probably about five months ago or so. He found it and uh, he said, Oh, check this out. So I watched it. I was like, Oh, you know, got a kick out of it. I mean, I'm just, I've known Howard for so long. And then the next morning I was flying out to go down to Washington DC for a series of meetings. And at six o'clock in the morning, I'm standing in Bradley international airport in Connecticut. And I look behind me in McDonald's and Howard's standing behind me. <laughs> so next the next morning, you know, so this has happened a couple times with Tristan that he finds things. And, uh, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, it, I thought it was kind of funny when he, 
he reached out and said, Hey, I, 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 I mentioned them on YouTube and they got back to you. <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I know you said you checked out at least some of it. Um, is it, you know, I was, it's funny. I, I haven't brought this up. Uh, we haven't done a podcast, uh, in about two weeks, but we got our first one star review and it was from a due to self-professed, uh, kill switch fan, something or other. I don't remember exactly the handle, but it basically was like, you talk to Joel, and their production manager. You don't talk about anything Killswitch related. You have Howard on the week that the Killswitch puts out a new record, and you talk about his old band. You know what the fuck, blah blah blah. And I was like, okay, well I'm not gonna talk to Joel or I'm not gonna talk to Josh about Killswitch because he's not in Killswitch. Like it's just a, you know his profession. Uh, Joel at that point, when I got to talk to him, it's like okay, there wasn't even a song or anything about a new record out. So why would I talk to him about anything I can't right. talk about? And then right. with Howard, it's like I think the kill switch thing has been beaten to death. And what I hadn't yeah. heard was blood has been shed stuff. So yeah. it was just like this person yeah. just completely missed the mark. And it's like yeah. you know I was pleasantly surprised to. And if you listen to the episode, you know my co-host and I made the comment mm-hmm. about we felt that blood has been shed is a very underrated band. And we were both pleasantly surprised to see how many people across all the music sites that picked up on that interview were still, you know, champing at the bit for any blood has been shed news. And so sure. I guess, you know, we'll just kind of pick right off of where, you know, I, something I've kind of wondered, and I think it kind of speaks more to you and something I can mm-hmm. really only ask you is obviously with Howard leaving initially and then Justin, you know, that kind of put a damper on when, I mean, you're a four piece and half your band goes. <laughs> You know, was there thoughts of, you know, replacing everybody and kind of moving forward? Or was it kind of a, I guess we're going to take a back seat until Killswitch is kind of on a hiatus of some sort and then pick mm-hmm. back up with Blood Has Been Shed when there's time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, it's funny. A lot of times in history, you know, it, you can never know the full story until you actually get to get behind the scenes and look under the hood, so to speak. Um, uh, when we were going hard with Blood Has Been Shed, as a band, um, we were working, you know, doing all the VFW shows that we could get our hands on, carrying our equipment down three flights of stairs to play inside a tiny basement. Okay. It was <laughs> it was that awesome and also hyper frustrating, but it's the thing that you did, and, and it's part of what it was to be an underground band. We did that, um, and we really had a heart to see that music get out there. Um, what really happened was that when my first son, Logan, when we found out he was on his way, um, that was just a, a big turn for, for me personally. But I also, I mean, that was a crazy turn for my family, but it also had a big shift on the band because we had geared up to kind of really get out there. And Ferret was getting behind us at that point in a way that was uh, getting doors opened. So when we found out Logan was coming, um, I, I told the guys like, hey, I, I'm going to have to readjust my priorities here. Um, but I still believe in this. And um, around that time is when Howard kind of got the offer from Killswitch. And uh, it was just, I remember one day he called me and he's like, hey, I got this thing. And I'm, I just told him like, man, go for it. And that's, that's what, yes, I just felt right. Yeah. I said, we can keep doing Blood Has Been Shed as we're doing it. And we wrote uh, a chunk of spirals while that was happening. Um, so what's kind of cool about it is there was always this positive atmosphere. I was always excited for Howard. And I felt just something, because, you know, Logan coming, that wasn't in the agenda, so to speak. Um, and so it really, it keyed up for Killswitch and Blood Has Been Shed had a very, at least in my experience of it, I mean, everyone's going to have a different opinion, but they felt very cohesive and I, and simultaneous to kill switch kind of exploding. And then Justin, you know, doing 
Kill Switch because we recorded Spirals and Justin wasn't in Kill Switch at that point. Um, and so just Howard was touring. He came back from like, I think it was a Japanese tour and did the vocals for Spirals. Um, and so it was kind of neat because the, the, the pathway of it was Boys Bichette was just going to keep going as whatever form, call it a studio band. Um, we never really thought of it as shutting down, so to speak. We just said, oh, it's taking a new form. You know, and we 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 moved more albums on the Spirals album, and we only toured on it for like four weeks. You know, <laughs> and uh, but part of that was on the, the interesting symbiotic relationship between Killswitch and Bloods Machete. You know, so that's a little bit of the the backstory. Is it all just kind of seemed to align? You know, and um, I was super proud of what was happening with Killswitch, and never saw it as a a diminishment of Les Michelle. You know, the interesting thing to think about back then, I mean, I would say really, and I think I said this in the outro of our of that Howard episode, but I mean, it's like you look at, I think, Aftershock, uh, mm-hmm. Blood Has Been Shed, and Overcast, and I think those were kind mm-hmm. of the pillars of what would become other bands, especially obviously in Killswitch, but I mean, you, I think, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, I'm not, I didn't live really in that area at the time anymore, but... Mm-hmm. Did it seem? Did it, did it feel like you guys were on the cusp of something completely different outside of the realm of what heavy music was at the time? Sure, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, yeah, it's, I think. I mean, I'll just take a stab at this. <laughs> it's kind of like when you go to CBGBs and you go downstairs and you see that nasty bathroom where they have the toilet <laughs> in there. Um, yeah. Sometimes the legend is more sexy than the reality, but um, the. the the sense that we experienced, at least when it came to music, we were writing music to the best of our ability, um, as a as, as best we could, a pure form. Of what we were getting in our hearts, and um, and with that, if you're true to, to an original, you know, art craft or whatever you're doing, uh, sometimes you're going to be pushing boundaries. Um, it's exciting when you're pushing boundaries when you get some sense of like, oh, it seems like it's going somewhere. I'd say that. For every one step you take, it feels like you're making 10 steps back. Um, I think pioneering music was like that. And in, in our region, there was Overcast and there was, you know, Hatebreed. I mean, like we were, there was a lot of times where we were going to some pretty small shows together, but you just kept, you kept pushing. But you got, but every time there'd be momentum, you'd see there was that sense of there's something going on here. You know, and um, I just remember, you know, you just go into the shows and when you're just getting going with it, they're always exciting. But there was a sense of there's some new things coming out of here in this area. Um, like I said, sometimes they're more glorious looking backwards than they were at the time. So. <laughs> I definitely think it's funny, you know, a, a site on Instagram like uh, Return to the Pit where they're posting, you know, old shows and the lineups that used to be <laughs> on them. And, you know, a lot of bands like I know Jamie Jost is big on posting, you know, old flyers. And so is Brian from Shadows mm-hmm. Fall. And you mm-hmm. look at some of those, you know, bills where it's like 18 visions and, you know, blood yeah. has been shed and overcast and you're like yeah. for $5 and you're like, holy shit, if that yeah. put that together now and like <laughs> it would be insane. And it's like yeah. the reality yeah. is it's like, yeah, there was like 15 people at that show. And uh, yeah. anyone who you know disagrees or says it was filled with like hundreds of people is a liar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's absolutely true. We did a, uh, Howard might've mentioned this, but we, we did one of the early tours with, uh, we ended up on a, a section of a tour with, with Jamie. And I mean, they were, they were like touring in like a hatchback. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that was, I mean, but Jamie's one of those people that he just stayed with it. He stayed with it. I mean, he lived, he lived what he said he was going to do. I mean, he just, the discipline was there, you know? And so, but uh, yeah, certainly not as glorious as it is. I'm sure. And when I say glorious, that's, 
obviously kind of ironic and not necessarily glorious now either. Right. Um, Kind of shifting gears a little bit, you know, in the thing that, you know, with Howard, I had mentioned, you know, I had remembered seeing an interview with him and Mike D of Killswitch uh, Mm -hmm. on some tour press that they were doing or album press. And basically someone had asked, you know, what's going on with Blood Has Been Shed? It's been, you know, X amount Mm -hmm. of years at that point since anything had happened. And I think, you know, and I was trying to find the interview just to post it, but I think I remember Mike D going like, well, I've heard the music and it is insane, even by Blood (laughs) Has Been Shed standards. And Howard's like, yeah, you know, it's, it's real crazy uh i just got to basically find time to do vocals and so forth you know and i had asked howard point blank is what happened to that music does it exist you know basically was there really how close were we to getting a follow-up to spirals and he just kind of made the comment like there is music i don't know if it'll ever see the light of day so since it was kind of you really working on it while howard was busy with other stuff how much of the next record is done or was done how close were we to getting the follow-up to spirals well, it does exist. Um, that was a while ago. Uh, it does exist. How it came to existence, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll probably in some form or fashion dive into that a little more depth than this, because uh, it is a little interesting how it came about. Um, it does exist. Just to kind of get to the point of what you asked, though. So, uh, currently, there's around 10 tracks on it. Um, it's been tracked drum-wise in the studio on seven of those tracks. Um, uh, roughed out, demoed out guitars, guitars and other instruments beyond guitars. Uh, just to kind of throw a little piece in there, there's there's multiple instrumentation on it beyond guitar work. Um, and, uh, and some vocals sketched out on a handful of tunes, but... It re- and, and those things took multiple iterations. Um, it, was, it was intended from the beginning to be a studio album, uh, knowing that in studio settings, you can write things that are not limitations of what you can perform live. Uh, not so much in the performance side, but in the creative side, the, the, comp- the compositional side. Yeah. So it does exist. I have it on a computer uh, hard drive at my house and my Pro Tools setup. And uh, it's been there. Um, and it was funny because that was about a, that was almost 10 years ago that it, that it, um, when I actually got the thing of writing it and it was a, in a sense, an intersection of the first three albums all together into one. And then in some ways, probably I would use the word going further than um, those other three. Um, But I had to rewrite certain ways to think about composition to actually write the album. So um, (laughs) it, uh, it it was, it was definitely, uh, yeah, I'll just say it, it is not what you would normally hear from a metal band. Well, I think that was kind of the thing, and you know, listening to to Spirals as much as I have, and, and a lot of the the back catalog as a whole, I think the thing that was interesting about Spirals is a lot of the the textures you started playing around with, with you know, uh, instrumentation kind of leading into another song. I mean, I'm kind of thinking of like those like weird wind chimey things that you were using that would kind of go into. I think it's a uh, call waiting. John Doe has the upper hand and stuff like that, and yeah. it's. It almost kind of, and I've made this analogy to a few other bands, and and I think people might think I'm I'm lessening of the significance of what I say in this, but I I still believe in it. Is I think I almost feel like where you potentially were going would almost kind of be something akin to refuse from fan the fame, fan the flames of discontent into shape of punk to come, where. There was what you were kind of known for, but it was constantly evolving. And by the time you got to Shape of Punk to Come, it really is a band self-actualized and hitting on all cylinders. And I, I, I've always wondered what the next record was going to sound like because 
all the records yeah. kind of sounded similar, but they they went in different directions, and it really made yeah. me and in light of how adventurous you got on spirals was wondering what sure. this next record was going to sound like. Sure. Well, that's yeah, cool. That's a good, <laughs> the, the fourth, the fourth iteration of things really was a, uh, another change. Um, every album was meant to have its own theming and its own, even the way we recorded them. And even sonically, if you, if, uh, the sonics, I mean, some of the sonics changed because we went from, spending $1,300 and doing an entire album in a weekend, you know, um, to then recording um, Novella. And Novella was done in a two-inch reel-to-reel studio, but then the mastering really kind of had a hard time with the actual sonic low end that we created in it. And so if you actually hear the pre-mastered versions, um, they actually sound vastly different on Novella, but it was meant to have a sonic tapestry as far as using analog in that sense. Spirals was digital, um, but even the guitar tones, we were very specific to create something that actually made you feel uncomfortable in listening to it. Um, it was intended to feel grating. Like, uh, um, and even in the artwork, it was all, in a sense, tied together. The fourth album would, would be a literal, it would be the bringing together of those, but actually going what would be after that. And so it would be as different as those were from one another, still consistent to Buzz Bichette, but uh, truly a as best we could a, a whole different approach and there was hints of where the the writing went in spirals but um it's 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 actually quite different to be honest um still heavy but not it's not going to go into like a pop setting <laughs> but it um but that being said um it's probably more it's probably more discordant with more layering on top of it that's non-discordant so it's almost like pulling on those two tensions you know something and correct me if i'm wrong i know it seemed like the band was kind of moving on in in how long howard was kind of absent from being able to partake in a lot of these things and again correct me if i'm wrong but i think you know i had heard mike from burnt by the sun was was doing vocals on Mm -hmm. this record you know, you kind of said that there's different iterations of like scratch demo vocals. There's a vocal ideas, at least, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Was the, was the concept going to be that Mike would do some of this or at least be in a live setting maybe and Howard was just going to be a studio only? Or what, how was that going to pan out if that was the case where there are two vocalists? Sure. And we actually had a number of vocalists that we were going to, that there was already kind of like a pipeline to talking to people. It was, we were looking for it to be, uh, I would say less of a because Howard wasn't available, therefore find such and such. Um, we were already working in a hyper studio setting. And one thing we thought about the idea of doing was bringing in multiple people and multiple artists um, to really have a community feeling to this. Like, what is it like when you bring the voice of a group of people together, still having Howard be a major central theme in it, but I mean, lots of other singers, lots. Of, we had three drummers working on it. Um, and so some of that was because, well, we had Killswitch was super busy and, um, but also it was, it was kind of like people came in the mix and we were coming with a very, I'll call it an open collaborative feeling of creativity. And so, um, it was, it was exploring what could happen if you bring these other musical ideas into the mix. Um, and so we were friends with, uh, you know, Birth by the Sun and, and as well as some other bands. And it's one of those like, Oh, what, what would happen if we tried that? 
you know, let's have like like four or five other vocalists on, and what would they do if they did this part, you know? And then they did this part, kind of like the new Killswitch album. They got, you know, Howard and uh, what was the guy from uh, oh, Billy, right? Um, yep, Billy from uh, Testament. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, it's the same kind of it was the same kind of idea, just at a little bit more of a heightened level. Like it was about exploring alternate forms of creativity with a collaborative setting. That was the original, <laughs> you know. <laughs> now uh, it's funny because I don't you know, whether it sees the light of day. Um, I had this, I don't know if this was a self-fulfilling prophecy, but when I, when I wrote, when I really started writing again, um, in, in, I started working on the music. I said to, I said to somebody, I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if it takes a decade for this album to come out because what we were writing was, it just didn't fit where music was. And there's one thing being ahead of the curve as far, not ahead of the curve, but you know what I mean? Like pioneering something. And then there's the point where it's like, dude, they say no one's going to be honest. Like this is just so far from what anyone's listening to right now. And um, in a strange way, 10 years later from actually writing the core beginnings of it, I could see where it would have more resonance today than it would have 10 years ago. Um, so, but, but that's just dumb luck, I guess. You know? So it's, yeah. Well, I guess that's actually, there's two things to that, actually, I was kind of wondering. I know as a guitar player myself, admittedly not that great, but, you know, in trying to, in listening to what you were playing and realizing, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were playing on six strings, just down-tuned to, like, yeah. fucking, I don't know, G or yeah. something lower than yeah. that. Um, yeah. You know, I've made the comment that, you know, I remember seeing Meshuggah back in 2002 when I graduated high school, and it sounded like shit because, and the reality is, is when people were like, well, that band and that record that they were on at the time was really great. And I go, yeah, it sounded great. And I go, but at the time, you got to remember, eight-string guitars weren't what they are now. They didn't have the electronics able to handle the low-end frequencies like they do now. Being in a, in, you know, a, an arena, it couldn't handle that either. And sure. so now you're in an environment where the technology for not only recording, but for playing these things live and having instruments that are mm. exponentially better than what you would potentially be able to use back then. Yeah. So it kind of makes me wonder, you know, I'm trying to think of the time frame, but would you have been experimenting more with seven and eight string guitars potentially to make things a little bit easier as far as like intonation and all that kind of stuff? Or were you still sticking to six string guitars? <laughs> well, it was a total pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> trying to get the sound that like that I knew we were trying to get to. And um, we try, I mean, I don't, so, you know, some, some people love tone for the sake of tone. Like, oh, they love, they're, they're like tech heads, you know? Um, so something you said earlier, you know, you said you're a guitar player, you know, you know, you know, but you're not that good. You know, I suck at guitar players. You're like, I don't consider myself like I go around the shouts, fall guys. I'm like, oh, those are guitar players. Um <laughs> You know, and or like Dragon Force or something like that. I'd be like, oh yeah, those are guitar players. I don't do that. I'm I'm basically like a metal punk version of hardcore that liked heavy tone that just played semi aggressively, but probably pretty crappily live. You know, like that was, you know, like there's that essence of it. But I, but but we did. But tone for me was more of a pursuit of something that was in my heart. If that technology existed, 
back then, I wouldn't have spent all my time trying to figure out all these things because it was about finding the sound for the purpose of creativity. But I think that's part of being an innovator in anything is that if it doesn't exist, somebody's got to find it, right? Someone's got to create it. And that's how, that's how, I mean, obviously we know this, but that's how music progresses. You know, you, 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 you find the thing that says what your heart is feeling or your what you think resonates with what the world is experiencing. And that's where tone matches the world. You know, it's like, how, how do you meet those things? So we, we did all this stuff. Um, like Novella, there are all these sub frequencies on that album that never existed. I shouldn't say never existed. A lot of bands did things like that, but I think we were pushing certain envelopes of a tone and the engineers in, in the studio. We had this guy, uh, Basil, a super nice guy. Um, and we were working in this traditional analog kind of rock studio. And they had this big trident board with a Studer 24-inch reel-to-reel. And, I mean, great gear, but um, we, I'm like, there's these other frequencies, and, and they're coming off. I used to listen to the cabinets and go to the side and the backs of the cabinets. I'm like, I mean, all the tone coming off the back of the cabinet here is what we're trying to grab. And he's like, with the back of the cabinet? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, all that resonance, that that that. that that bass frequency, you know, it's like the 808 version that's coming off the back of the cab. And so I said, well, how are we going to get that? And, and this guy just scratched his head. And I said, well, how can we, what? they, they didn't have sub kicks then, you know, like the Yamaha sub kick. So we, we took a 15 inch speaker uh, in a cabinet and we put it on the back of the guitar cabinet and we hooked it up to a mic pre and we turned that speaker into a 15 inch microphone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and so that's how we captured all the low end kind of um, resonance in novella. Um, and I remember being in the studio one time, and there was this one song on the album, and it has these really. Oh, her name was Entrasion was, was the song, and it has these crazy low frequencies in it. And um, I remember they had these these monitors called Big Reds, and they're big 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 monitors and. I remember half the people in the room getting queasy when it was playing. I was like, <laughs> we found the note. Like, that was the note. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, even the engineer was like, whoa. <laughs> um, now, when we went to go get mastered, it was mastered by a very uh, well-named individual. But it, it's, it was so out of the range, like you're saying, of the technology. People just weren't doing that. Um, and so, I guess, going full circle to your question, um, I, I think that, Part of the reason why I would, if I ever had a chance to finish up these, this album, um, I would take advantage for sure of some of the new advances in things. Um, however, I would probably just knowing my nature, probably try to go try something new with them as well. And, uh, be just as frustrated, um, knowing, knowing me. Um, so yeah, I think, I think tone has really grown. Uh, and I, I do think that, you know, new new versions of where things are going recording wise, as far as we're being able to record direct in certain ways, and even some of the plugins for for guitar, and then even some of the, the cab emulation could really make recording a lot easier. So, no, absolutely, it was just kind of something. You know, I've talked to uh, John from Pitch Shifter in a while back, and you know, they were gearing mm -hmm. up for twenty years of PitchShifter.com, and you know, I was like, well, thinking about the gear that you would have been using back then, a lot of that, <laughs> if you're trying to convert it or use it with stuff that exists now it's not compatible so like how are you mm -hmm. you know using your samples how are you doing all this stuff and he was like i've had to re i've had to use just a lot of it naturally like and, and hope that it still works and you know get it cleaned up mm -hmm. and so forth so it's just kind of been funny you know as i'm you know 20 years removed from a lot of these records and thinking about the advances in technology from analog to mm -hmm. digital to you know all these other things that it's like how does that affect a band like yourself who I felt like were doing something that mm -hmm. wasn't the norm then and probably was a lot harder mm -hmm. in a recording studio to, to get 
dialed in the way you needed it to. Yeah. 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 No, you're dead on. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I actually, the, when we wrote, when we started writing this, this new material, part of that 10 year statement was, I think I don't, it would have been very hard to record this album 10 years ago that we started working on. Um, things have come a long way since then in what's involved in the album would, uh, today's recording, um, environment actually is far more conducive for, for doing a fourth album than, 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 uh, when I first got going with it, I remember looking at the material and scratching my head saying, how in the world are you going to record this? Um, and we already had to come up with some, we were already 10 years ago trying to come up with some pretty unusual ways to try to record it. And, um, so it's, uh, uh well, maybe it's serendipitous that, you know, we're, we're having this conversation. Who knows? Maybe, maybe something will come out, but that might be because it's a lot easier to record. You know, something I had asked out Howard and, you know, I'm going to pose the same question to you. Mm-hmm. I was, like I said, I was shocked seeing the outpouring of, man, I love this band. Man, this band was so great. I remember getting this album, insert, you know, whichever of the three it was, or seeing the band or all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the one of the sites that picked up on it, you know, had over 7,000 views, had like hundreds and hundreds of comments and so forth. And it just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of made me realize, because I had asked Howard, is it, does it surprise you that the band still carries a legacy that they do, that there are still people who love the band, that it means so much to, that they want to see come back and all this kind of stuff? You know, and his answer was very Howard-esque, where it was like, yeah, I mean, it all surprises <laughs> me. The fact I have a career at all yeah. surprises me. Yeah. That being said, since I'm talking to someone who's a little bit, I'm not going to say less or more articulate than Howard, but will probably articulate it a little <laughs> bit more. Um, sure. Does that surprise you as well? And I don't know how much, if you saw mm-hmm. any of the news from the, the interview or anything like that, but mm-hmm. does it does it surprise you that there are still fans like myself who, you know, all these years later still care about what you did in VFW halls, you know, 25 <laughs> years ago or so? Um, I think I would echo Howard's like, yeah, it surprises you. Um, and then part of it, um, it, it's not that it doesn't surprise you, but I, I guess you have a greater level of appreciation for the, I'll, I'll say, uh, it's hard to find the words to this. Hardcore metal art is a community, right? It's, it's a group of people who come together because they find um, a, a resonance and an appreciation for something that you don't really fit in with the rest of the people of the world on. And um, I think of the appreciation of being creative together, that something like an album or a band having an impact on people, it's almost like we remember things that were formative for us, you know? And so I appreciate that. And I, and so it does surprise me is that you're able to, to be honored to be in that space with people's lives together. And we do it together, right? We, we carry the cabs into those shows and we fight to, to just get from show to show. And I, you know, it's just, it's, it's the underground way of getting things going, but um, you know, so that's a community thing. So I can sort of see and appreciate that, you know, it does make sense because we poured a lot of life into a lot of people. A lot of people poured their lives into us. And so in that you kind of go, wow, you know, this was about us as a community of being hardcore metal. You know, we, we have legacy together, you know, and that legacy of any one person, I mean, over anyone else like, Oh yeah, this band's great. You know, it's more like, it's just a reflection of the hardcore scene. Right. Um, and we remember things, you know, and so it's surprising sometimes, you know, and then other times you're like, Oh, that makes total sense. You know, I remember the bands that influenced me, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, that was formational for me as a teenager. I didn't grow up in music. I grew up in, I was, a, I was BMX professionally until I was 21. 
you know, so, um, yeah, so I, but music was a huge part of my life, you know, so in some ways, yes, and in some ways, no, I don't know if that's a good answer or not, but that, that kind of gives you a snapshot. Um, something in all of this that happened with Howard, with the news kind of going viral, at least in the, the metal hardcore community, you know, the lamb goes, mm-hmm. the, the PRPs and so forth. I had mm-hmm. read a, in the comments section someone making the comment that they that there was a, a tour that was supposed to happen and then it, it got canceled and then someone commented on that and they go i remember that i was working for and the label didn't make sense but maybe i just misread it or the timing was off or whatever i'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure but they said something like oh we worked at roadrunner or whatever at the time mm-hmm. and we were very surprised at this too because we were getting uh, requests for offers after some of these dates had already been announced by other promoters and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then the tour went away like a week after a handful of dates had leaked out or however mm-hmm. that was back then. I don't know if leaking existed back in 2007. <laughs> um, sure. But, and I think that was the time frame it was 07, 08, somewhere around there. But the thing that was kind of interesting was seeing, you know, a smattering of people kind of piecing together this tour that apparently was scheduled to happen like one kind one person chimed in and they were like oh well my band was actually tapped to play it in our town and then it mm-hmm. went away just as quickly as we were you know offered it and so it was mm-hmm. kind of interesting to see this this co- cooperation between three or four different people talking about a tour mm-hmm. that up until that point I had no idea even was a thing if it ever was mm-hmm. or whatever so was there a tour that had that was planned and somehow got scrapped, or was is there any validity to that? A Blood Has Been Shed tour? Yeah. <laughs> There's been a handful of times where uh, you, you, you make a phone call and you go, "Hey, what do you think about doing that?" Or, you know, I mean, or like, I mean, I don't even think we take it. We took it that seriously. Like, oh, yeah. You know, there was one of those moments where you kind of go, "Oh, well, what if you? You know, what if we? You know, or we would get a request to do a festival thing, and it was like, well, maybe we should just if we're going to do a festival thing, I'm not going to try to figure out how to play those songs again after not touching it for you know X amount of years to just do, go do one show, right? Um, I can't speak with clarity as to I'm not enough in the loop because my life is so different than that at this moment. Um, I, I'm not in the loop enough to know what's happening behind the scenes of people having conversations at that, at that space. Um, but there have been times where, where we've talked about doing festivals um, or, Oh, what if we did X, you know? And so there was conversation surrounding that. But when we say conversation, it's about, you know, have a quick check-in on the phone. How you doing? I, I, you know, I talked to Justin, you know, you know, not regularly, but fairly regularly, you know, and uh, sometimes you joke about like, oh, maybe we should do this, you know. Um, so there probably is that portion of reality, but then also abstracted from reality, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, absolutely. In the day and age, yeah. like where I know I like I used to put on shows and sometimes I'll get offered something. Or I'll have an idea for a show. I'll hit up a couple of people. Hey, if I could get this, if I could pull this off, would you be interested? You know, I hit up a venue, you know, they put a hold, maybe they talk to somebody as well. So I totally understand that there are instances like that. If the amount of shows that never happened that I have done, but I've made a lot of contact with people, like, I think I might be able to get this to happen. And then it goes nowhere. And I was like thinking more, I was like, I bet that's more the case. Like, Oh, this person lived here. Someone was like, "Hey, we yeah. might get this show. If we yeah. do, would you be interested in getting on it?" So on and so forth. Yeah. And, and that's how the the story and the legend grew. To there was a whole tour booked, and then it got scrapped. And it's yeah. like, no, it wasn't a whole tour. It was like a couple of dates, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
that's that's probably what it was, you know. And and we have this kind of historic legacy with Bloods and Shed booking things, and then entire clubs shutting down, festivals <laughs> blowing out, losing power. Like we're we're like, do you ever, what was that movie Magnolia or something like that with Tom Cruise or something like that? And like in the opening scene, there's the there's the guy who tries to commit suicide and his parents are arguing in the floor below and they shoot at each other and they end up killing their son as he falls by the window, you know, like as he's trying to kill himself, you know, that was kind of like what is in shed. Like we, we went to go play health fest in Syracuse once and the, we, we played like the first note of the first song in the whole, all the power went out and the whole show shut down. And uh, I was like, yeah, and then they got it going at the end of our set. I think we played a half a song. Um, we we went to CBGB's for one of the last shows at CBGB's, and it got shut down because somebody got stabbed. Um, we went to play Metal Fest in Worcester, and all the power shut down right before our set. <laughs> so we have this like uh, comedy of events that seems to follow us with with you know our journey as a band. Um, but we stuck together, you know. I mean. It, I think we have one of the more diverse lineups of people who came through the band other than Howard, John and I, and then Justin later, but it was like a rotating membership of amazing people who came through, but it was like a new guitar player, new bass player every other week. Um, and there were some awesome people that came through the band and, um, but it was, uh, yeah, I, I think sometimes blows me shed as an entity was far, far more engaging as in the long-term view than necessarily the short-term run of all our shows. Cause half the time we'd go to a show and there'd be a guy who like Andy uh, from every time I died came down, we were playing CBGBs for the first time. And Andy came down like the day before and learned all the music. And I mean, we're like trying to practice all this music and we go to CBGBs and I mean, it was, uh, it was a comedy show of us trying to play our own music as a as this band that we're like half of it two two of the members are just coming in like twelve hours earlier, you know, and it's just um it's funny how that becomes like you just gotta push through it, right? But yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you, I mean, I'm sure you get it, but it's just funny because when you look back on it, I think if there's anything we had, it, there was dumb persistence to, to not give up. <laughs> so one of the, the last uh, blood has been checked questions I'll ask, and I'll kind of go more into what you've been up to and kind of catching up with current Corey. Um, sure. You know, you mentioned New England Hardcore Metal Fest. That is one mm-hmm. festival that, I mean, with Hellfest no longer existing, mm-hmm. that is one where I am shocked that we haven't seen you guys come back to play that in recent years. Mm-hmm. I know, I know mm-hmm. some of it was, you know, obviously Howard was busy with kill switch. Then he kind of, you know, had to deal with some personal stuff and, you mm-hmm. know, nowadays back, but it, it seems like one of those that in the ever present, uh, and I'm not going to call it a cash grab. Cause I, I mean, no slate against you guys, but I don't think blood has been shed was ever at the level to do anything that would be considered a cash grab. Um, <laughs> I think if, uh, if it were to ever happen, it would be solely because you all want to do it and it would be for the mm-hmm. fan, the longtime fans that have been waiting. But I do yeah. think I'm surprised that, you know, all these years later that there hasn't been at least a reunion show at a new England hardcore metal fest. Has, have they mm-hmm. approached you to do such? It's been a couple, it's been a couple conversations where somebody said, Hey, you want to, <laughs> Scott Lee or somebody like that. Um, I don't know if he's still doing it, but um, there's been a handful of times where people said, you know, but I've, whether it's the combination of kill switch, um, uh, my personal schedule. Um, I also think too, we, we, 
yeah, I guess I don't know that there's a good answer to that one as far as any real thought behind it, except for the idea that knowing what it would take to try to get the 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 energy back into the setting. I, I just want, I'm not a fan of doing things and not doing them well, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and, you know, and also too, I, I mean, now this is just my response, not anyone else in the bands. Um, I think that I still feel a little bit of a, a, a sense in my heart of, if I was to do anything for Buzz Michelle, the time and energy would be put into creating what I feel like was never finished. Um, you know, and so I, I hadn't really thought about doing shows, you know, and um, I think that with the margin that I have in life, which everyone's got thin margin in life, but with the margin that I have in life, I, I think that um, the time it would take to do that, I would have to then do, do that and take away from my family, you know, in certain ways. And if I had to do anything, I think I would be working on the album, you know, and so I think probably when people have made little offers like, yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> so. Um, but I, I, you know, I probably haven't thought about it that much that I, uh, it probably would be a good idea because there's a lot of people that have supported us, you know, so maybe you're planting an idea in my head. I mean, I'm, the the point of this, you know, like very much like Justice says on his podcast where he's always like, oh, I like to try to make a pitch or two. Um, <laughs> I mean, at this point, if the record's as far along as it is, why not revisit it? Why not, uh, at least try to finish whatever is able to be finished and put out maybe over the course of you know, you put out a song or two every couple of years or so and, and just kind of get it out and mm-hmm. at least get everything at a good final resting point. I don't think Blood Has Been Shed sure. ever really had that luxury of, of officially being able to say, this is it, this is our our farewell. Mm-hmm. It just kind of went yeah. away. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right. And some of that too is, um, it happened so naturally. Yeah, like as we mentioned earlier in, in the podcast here, it happened so naturally, um, you know, my life got very, very full in, in, in the way that, you know, is, is awesome. And, um, I saw, I saw Howard expanding with kill switch. I saw kill switch success. It all just worked. You know, I was like, this is great. And when we finished spirals, <laughs> uh, once again, the, our circumstances for the way we had to finish things, um, were traditional blood has been shed. So, <laughs> so in other words, what that means is on spirals. I don't think, it, I don't know that anyone knows. It. Um, we lost our practice place. Um, and, so, so this, uh, this is actually a credit to Justin. Um, I mean, everybody in the band is, is awesome, but I, but Justin, I would say that people probably don't have an acknowledgement or I would say a full recognition of sides of that guy's drumming and just his mind. Um, so we lost our drumming, our spot. So we had nowhere to play and we're writing all this new music and, um, we didn't have no money. I mean, we were broke as anything. And, um, and no, no one was giving us any money. So it was kind of like, if you want to write an album, you're going to go figure it out. And so I started writing since we didn't have a practice place. And I was hearing all this music for spirals. That was just non, non, non-traditional, I guess, even within the hardcore setting, it was just different. Um, I started writing stuff on a computer. Um, and so, and, uh, and so I started writing these crazy drum things and, and then I would bring them to Justin and we didn't have a practice place. So we, we were practicing this music and he was using a goat rattle on one on his foot in the living room with a djembe drum, a goat rattle. And I forget what he did with his other foot as a snare drum. And I was playing through a crate 112 cap. <laughs> and so we, we wrote like a, a, a significant portion of the album, um, with a goat rattle, a djembe, 
in a in a one twelve amp. <laughs> like, and so we're writing like, you know, Rain Man and all these other like complex tunes, which had, you know, I think Rain Man had twenty seven time signature changes on the kick drum patterns. And so Justin learned them, uh, learned those those things. I would bring them on computer, and he would listen to them. And, and the dude's a freaking nature, because I mean, these are fairly complex things. And he'd listen to them, and he'd go, and I'm thinking he's got to practice it and everything like that. And he's like, all right, I think I got it. <laughs> and then he would write it, and he would transpose it. Like he, so the goat the goat rattle would be, you know, instead of his hand, it was his foot, you know, which would be the hi hat, you know. And then he would like be hitting the djembe, which would be the snare, but it was the opposite hand. and the, Or that was the kick drum. That's what it was. The djembe was the kick drum. And then the other foot was the snare. So he actually switched up all his, you know, hands and feet to being the opposite so that we could actually get the songs worked out. And we had to find a place. And then we wrote like a couple months of this, um, writing spirals. Um, and so Justin actually wrote a portion of the album with a goat rattle, a djembe, and I forget what the other thing was, but... Um, I mean, and then he had to relearn all the songs on a traditional kit. Here's something, speaking to, actually, this will be my last Pleasant Ben Shed question, because you, the abstractedness, I know it's not a word, uh, of the way mm -hmm. that you were writing all of that, something that has always intrigued me, and uh, one of my friends and I, who's kind of like a big production gear nerd kind of person, and a guitar mm -hmm. player too, you know, listening to Call, call Waiting John Doe, especially through headphones, mm -hmm. We, we have the theory that you actually had to read like the pan part so like where it's like that weird mm -hmm. kind of stutter riff that when you're yeah. hearing it on the right the right or the left ear or whatever the le left side mm -hmm. that you're literally playing that part you're not playing the other parts or are you okay. literally playing everything all the way through but you're just panning the one and then the other ones pan to the other side so solve this yeah. for us or at least uh, answer this for us yeah. we we think that you guys are so insanely good that you literally would just because you're that good at odd time signature stuff would actually play those parts exactly as you hear them through a good pair of headphones or a good speaker setup yeah yeah it, it was um one time signature is in um if i have this correct and justin would, would correct me because i'm not i'm not the 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 learned musician i'm the guy who hears the weird things and writes the stuff and then justin would he'd look at me and go Wait, do that again? He's like, oh, you're repeating that. I, I guess that's intentional. <laughs> and uh, that song, the first beginning of it, I think is in like a, and it's it's a weird time series, it's like a 33, uh, 33 kind of thing, um, because it, it goes through uh, four, uh, three measures of eight and then a measure of seven, right? And so it's just, uh, um, or it's or it's a measure of, uh, sorry, a measure of eight and then a measure of nine or something like that. I, I forget. I, I honestly don't remember. That was a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it resolves itself at the end of the whole thing. So when we did that, um, yeah, we played that straight through, and I actually played both guitar parts on it. And then, but one thing I, st I started putting in there was an accent that was just straight um, and panned it. So it's just so it throws you off on the whole thing. So it it is played through. Um, it is played through in the thirty whatever number it is. I forget. Um, and then um, and then I threw in and played that other section to completely um, accentuate the way it wraps around itself. And so, yeah, that song's funny because I, I heard the best review ever. I remember every time that when I was writing the song, I was trying to make it um, feel as awkward and uncomfortable as possible. And um, like even the way the certain progressions are, are led in it, it's, it's meant to feel um, like it's always never quite resolving. Like that's that was intense, intentional on the song, and I remember this this 
kid gave this review and he goes, this is the most pointless song I've ever heard. <laughs> and, and I smiled because he was tearing it apart. And I'm like, he actually got it. Like he got what the intention was. It was supposed to leave you with that. It was supposed to leave you with a, a sense of lack of resolution. Um, and it was like, it's always pulling back from finalizing anything. And that was intentional. And it was, he was like one of the few people that reviewed it and got it. And he hated it. <laughs> you know? I always, always kind of reminded me of, and I might butcher the pronunciation of this, but it kind of always felt like a, a, a musical representation of like a Borealis or a Borealis or not a Borealis, a Borealis. Mm-hmm. Basically the yeah. snake eating its own tail. Mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of how I always took that song where I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's, it's never, it doesn't have any conflict. So it's always just kind of a repetitive thing going in a, yeah. a vicious cycle and looping and so forth. But mm-hmm. that's how I, I was like, that's how I've always took it when I listened to it. I was like, it just reminds me of this mental image of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's a, it's a beauty of art where like, we can see it in different ways and it's probably correct. You know, like it's, it's cool to hear, you know, I mean, we can, you know, you or I can intend something. Um, but half of the experience is the interpretation. And sometimes people see things that you never anticipated. And I think that's the, that's actually what changed in the last spirals. The change between spirals and the newer album is that um, <clears throat> spirals was written very streamlined. Uh, J- uh, Justin and I did a lot of that. Um, and Howard came in and did all the vocals. He was on tour. So, um, and the band had trimmed down a lot. It was Justin and I spent a lot of time working just the two of us. Um, when I started writing again, I really started working with a diverse tapestry of people. And, and instead of, having a more streamlined, like, oh, we're going to just write X and write what you hear in your head. It was more about exploring what different people brought to the table. And uh, I found this appreciation for uh, the collaborative writing style of, hey, throw it in the pot, see what happens. Oh, check that out. And you start to read other people's interpretations and you start to see that um, creativity, um, there's multiple ways to get to creativity, right? And so, uh, yeah kind of a sidebar but when you said that idea of interpreting something a lot of the new stuff has been much more experimental from the perspective of uh seeing what unique ideas when they come to the table sometimes you create stuff that feels right but you would have never come up with by yourself yeah um million dollar question what have you been up to since uh since blood has been shed kind of is, is no more. I mean, I know Howard made the joke uh, when I said something about like, Oh, I'd love to get Corey on. He goes, good luck with that. Corey is busier than I am. So what exactly uh, have you been up to? That's a good, well, wow. How do I answer that question? Mm. Um, so at the time when that, uh, this has already been put out there. People have mentioned this. I think Howard made a joke about this once. Um, so I'll just jump into one of the more interesting things. Um, uh, it was about 12 years ago, um, was building a business, uh, construction business and, um, went to my house and ended up getting struck by lightning in my driveway on a blue sky day. And, um, you know, and everyone's like metaphorically, I'm like, no, no, literally. <laughs> so it, it sent this, um, I got, it hit the ground around me, went through me and it actually tripped a breaker in my house. Um, did the old hospital gig. Um, and, uh, that was kind of an interesting event. Um, and that was, uh, then uh, my, my third child was born right at that time, Avery. So we have Logan, Tristan and Avery. Um, 
And so uh, Avery came home from the hospital, and then my house was hit by a 14,000-volt 14, power surge uh, two weeks later, completely separate events. Um, simultaneous to that is when we started writing the new album. Um, so there's this, there's this, you know, Howard, Howard, it, it jokes about it. Actually, I think I jacked up with Mike D about this, but they heard the music and they were like, what happened to him? And, uh, so, so the album has this interesting correlation to maybe some of these other events. Um, at that time I ended up shifting careers. Uh, had some pretty unique events. I ended up, I'm ending up, it's been a couple of iterations since then, but I, I work behind the scenes with a lot of, I'm not, I, I won't get into crazy details, but I work behind the scenes with organizations that really try to impact the world for good um, a, around both areas of high conflict. And there are places that I'm working that are, are pretty dangerous um, as well as large groups of people who want to do good. Um, how do we see the world improve? Um, one of the, there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of the events that happened is funny. Like we're, we're, I mean, this is we're, we're talking about metal, right? Or you know, I'm mad. I gotta yell at things. Um, and uh, and I, I used to grow up. I used to feel. I mean, blood has been shed is a very specific statement. Uh, it's a statement of the history of mankind. Like we, we could go to the soil of any country, any nation, and it's going to be filled with the blood of um, the malice that we have carried towards one another. And um, and so as a metal band, you, you, you're trying to express that, right? Um, so around the time when I got struck by lightning, I ended up falling behind the scenes with a person who had a absolutely tragic event happen of horrific, like just awful. Um, and I mean, violent. And um, I, I got to know this person personally uh, because of just a, complete unique set of circumstances how I ended up there. So I get struck by lightning and all of a sudden I end up getting to know this individual who had this horrific event happen to them. And it really changed my perspective of what, um, what is evil and malice in the world and also what is anger? Uh, what is, what is goodness? Um, and so that, that led me to a, a really, I'd say a new understanding of, the violence in the world. And it, it caused me to kind of reassess what I meant or what I experienced of the name blood has been shed. And, and what do you really do when you have an awareness of that? And you can choose to, to be like, Oh, I'm going to keep talking about being angry or I'm going to go out there and try to try to be a, um, somehow impact this world for good. Um, and so that led me into a course of then I've gone out and worked behind the scenes where there's been national uh, natural disasters um, and then now I, I work more broadly, uh, in, in, <laughs> I know this is very abstract, <laughs> um, cause I can't get into all the crazy detail of it, but, um, it's really trying to serve people in areas of leadership that, uh, in some ways you, you get to see good, but you also, you also get to see the tough, the tough stuff. And, um, being in a metal band and having the name blood has been shed. <laughs> It's uh, not to minimize or trivialize the angst or the the, the angry messages that, that metal has. I still feel that I still love metal. I mean, I just, it's, it's part of who I am. Um, I also have been able to see the real world. And when you, when you see things, you, you realize that people live this and um, 
it changes your perspective. And so I, I actually, um, I feel very fortunate to be where I am, but it's, it's, it, it actually feels like the, the culmination of actually what we were trying to say with blood and shed, which was how do you find hope in a world that's filled with so much? Um, cause blood and shed had a strange hopeful tone, even though it was about being honest about the discordance of life. Um, so my current, I know that doesn't give you details, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's fine. I mean, I think it's interesting to me is I didn't realize, I guess I never took Blood Has Been Shed for a name as deep as that, but it's funny because when you started going into explaining, you know, your job and what you've been doing in your career field, I immediately started thinking of Gojira. Like, Gojira is a, a stupidly heavy band, very technical, but they talk about a lot of environmental things in their music. They use their music to as a platform to, to talk about these things that are important to them. And I think, you know, that's that's something going all the way back to, to Jamie Jost and Hatebreed. I think that's something that hardcore, punk, whatever has always been is a platform for those who didn't feel like they had a voice to talk about the things that they have felt that wronged by or things that they feel impassioned about that they want to spark change in and so forth. And I think that's something that, I mean, shit, any of the guys, like Shadow of Fall, The Power of I and I, Killswitch, you know, all of their stuff, you know, going back to, like, just about any of the bands from that era, like, I mean, Hatebreed, Perseverance, <laughs> like, everybody kind of was about, you know, self-empowerment and the betterment of people and believing in a, in a group of people and, and wanting what's best for everybody, and I think that kind of goes back to, you know, even more of a, not necessarily a segmented part of the, the culture, but... You know, you were talking about metal community as a community and, and a place where people who never really felt they belong can belong. So it doesn't it's, it's not that odd that you would go into something where it kind of has those same core values and beliefs and so forth. And, and that that would be where you find happiness in, in trying to create change in a completely different medium. Correct. Yeah. I would love to say that that was me being smart going that direction. But I feel a little bit like Forrest Gump where you just end up places. Um, and, uh, you know, in many ways it was kind of like, how'd you get there? I'm like, Oh, gracious. If I tried to explain that it wasn't by my doing, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily like getting struck by lightning in your driveway. You don't say, Hey, I think I'll get struck by lightning. <laughs> you know, it, it just happens. Right. Um, but it's, it is interesting. Yeah. As you mentioned that, you know, it's, you can talk about evil in the world and whatever evil is, um, but when you start to see what people do when they have power um, and what can you do to affect that? Um, I don't know. It's interesting that I think that hardcore and metal have always been speaking to power structures, right? It's you're, you're challenging or punk, you know, you're challenging the power structure, right? You're challenging the, the societal norms, um, which I think is, is beneficial. Um, I don't, I didn't have the, the, the smarts to end up where I am now. Um, but I can, as you mentioned, I can see the connection behind it. Um, and I think that it gives you a new perspective when you, you know, I'm trying to find the words for this, but I think it gives you a new perspective when you, you create something artistically that you're making a statement, you know, blood has been shed and, and all of us in the band had different interpretations of what that meant as far as like, Oh, here's the, here's the meaning of it. I think it, it was a, a group of people who came together and, and had a common direction. Um, but I think we were even finding it then. Like, I don't, I don't think we've ever really found what it was supposed to be. I think it was us trying to find ourselves in it, you know, 
and um, maybe this is a, a bit of a, you know, just a fulfillment of things, but where I see myself now is if I had to actually articulate what did I see back then and why did the name Blaise Pichette even come about, I recognize that the world, um, there's a lot of people in the world who who take things from one another because of either power, desire for power. Um, and it, it, we're very, we, those of us who have lead, led very privileged lives, um, we, we don't even know what we have. And um, when you start meeting these people who have had things taken from them in the ways that they've been taken, I think I have a new appreciation for something. And I, I had this epiphany probably in the last six months to a year where I said, Oh my goodness. I had no idea. I mean, I'm talking about all this stuff and blood has been shed. And I'm like, and here's the reality of it, you know? And, um, which, whether that's culminating in some way that helps, I think that, yeah, if there was ever to be a, uh, an album, uh, in, in the fullest form, I, I think it would probably be appropriate that I, I wouldn't ever be able to create something until I really understood it. Um, and so, not going to say that that's fortuitous, but um, <laughs> maybe in some ways, um, I think I might have grown into appreciating um, the name a little more. But it does tie into some of the work that I, and that's more not so much what I do, but what I've seen, you know, in the world. Well, that's all I had for you uh, this evening. Uh, thank you so much for the time. I was only planning on taking about twenty five, thirty minutes of your time, but uh, definitely appreciate uh, the full hour. Um, Seems like you're a rather to yourself person. I don't think you really exist on, on much social media that I've been able to find other than Facebook. But uh, um, I, I guess, is there anything that you would like to, to say in closing to, to any of the fans, longtime fans that are potentially going to see this or hear this or anything? Uh, uh, well, certainly nothing scripted. Um, <laughs> so I feel kind of put on the spot here. Um, honestly, appreciation. I mean, and that's not just cliche. Um, I, I always experience music as a as a as a relationship with people, um, and so we we were we were nothing without the people who contributed to us. The fans, I didn't see them as they yes fans. Um, they were people that you built relationship with. I remember going to, to New Hampshire and there was this kid there named Doug. We played a show with one kid. Uh, one kid showed up, um, and I remember Doug. Doug came, um, and then. Then the next time we went to the show, there was like 30 of Doug's friends there. And then the next show was with one King down and like, there was like 200 kids there, but, but Doug was the kid, you know what I mean? Um, so I guess maybe a, a huge thank you that, um, people have been supportive. And I, and I think that we've, we've been shaped by that support. And if something comes out, I hope they don't think it sucks, but also they might think it sucks. So I guess I have to be okay with that. So Actually, that's a good question. I mean, in the in the day and age now of like sunset clauses and all that kind of stuff, and ferret getting bought out initially by Sony, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then I heard one of the the co owners of Ferret was on Doc Coyle's podcast, and he basically mm -hmm. was saying like, I guess the, the <laughs> go figure. Ferret didn't do as well as they thought it was going to do when like the whole mm -hmm. you know illegal downloading and all that kind of stuff really became rampant, and. Uh, that I think they they got bought back out, but I think they said that they gave uh, Carl and this other dude I can't remember his name the the like masters or whatever back to every the catalog. But do yeah. you know who? Do you guys technically own your masters and all that stuff now? Yeah, we have all our. So I have all the two inch and half inch reels in my basement. Oh wow! <laughs> so fair enough. Yeah. 
That was just yeah. such a weird yeah. inside baseball question. I was like, I wonder if they own their masters <laughs> or who owns like, you know, like yeah. the sunset clause up on that. Cause I know, you know, having yeah. friends that were on ferret ferret was actually one of the very few labels that was pretty fair mm-hmm. back in the day and would do a lot mm-hmm. of like one album or two album deals. Yep. and didn't really hold anyone to, you mm-hmm. know, like the, on the, <laughs> those old roadrunner records of like nine records. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Carl, Carl and others, but I'll say Carl specifically was the real deal. I mean, he was true to the ethic of the hardcore ideal about being there for the musicians. Um, I, I really appreciate Carl. Um, and so he treated people fairly. You know, we, we released our first album ourselves and we self-promoted it. We self-distributed it. And um, Carl really partnered with us. Um, and I have nothing but good things to say about Carl and also fair in the legacy of what they did. I, I don't know what other bands relationships were, but Carl treated us really well. And um, I think that's the hardcore. That was the hardcore ethic and ideal that you you're there to help the community, right? And you're there to help the, the bands. Um, Carl lived that out. Absolutely. Well, Corey, thank you so much for taking the time tonight. It, uh, as someone who has been wanting, have a lot of questions for over a decade, it was really nice to be able yeah. to get to talk to you and uh, get a lot of these answered for myself and, and for anyone who cool. may stumble upon this. Yeah, uh, we'll see if a couple people listen to it, but it's been fun to chat. So that was my chat with Corey Younger of Blood Has Been Shed. I uh, gotta say, I'm really hopeful that between... You know, all the news and all the fans pouring their love and support of Blood Has Been Shed and, and hoping for some new music and, and Corey going into detail about, yo, I got the record, it's on my hard drive. Um, but, you know, maybe him and Howard and, and whomever else uh, can find some time and, and maybe at the very least just release the demo forms of these songs and, you know, we can kind of get an idea of what was next for the band. Um, I do find it interesting that New England Metal Fest and some of these other fests, you know, in the the East Coast area haven't (laughs) hit them up to be like, we'll pay you like $6,000 to come and reunite for a one show. Right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that I feel like is the only thing that's going to propel them to to really work on it because like for me if i had a project that i've been sitting on for that long like it's not that i've forgotten about it but it it is kind of um it's kind of one of those things that until you know like what we did i feel like we kind of lit the fire at least a little bit being like hey there actually are people out there that would like to hear this absolutely i i mean Justin may you know always likes pitching shit on his show of like oh what if we did this as a shirt or what if you did this as a whatever the fuck uh, my thing is always just like, I just want people to like put out cool shit and, and keep doing cool things that I enjoy. And, uh, if, if two, two podcasts are able to, to allow me to hear new music that I've been waiting for, for half my life, well, you know, that's, that's a, it was totally worth doing all of this. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent. What do you think it sounds like? I mean, like he, he, ex- he explained it, but like, where do you, where do you envision Based on what he said, how do you think it sounds? Oh my goodness, that's hard. That's really hard, John. Because I mean, I there's what I want it to sound like, which is what what do knowing because I mean novella. For I was to say for those that may not know, Dan did Blood Has Been Shed on uh, discography discussion a little while ago, and I mean they only have three records, so it's a it's a quick episode. But well, we didn't do the whole band. We didn't do the whole discography. It was a a Patreon where we just talked about novella. But um, well, I mean, technically they released the album as Spirals and Novella, so you could have, you know, done two thirds of it in one shot. That's true. Yeah, I just, um, I don't know, man. I, I like Novella because of how 
insanely brutal it is for for the time um and and just how visceral it sounds and i know that this new album whether it exists or it doesn't exist i mean i know it exists but um i i just i'm thinking it's going to be really mathy but i think there's going to be a lot more like atmospheric shit like kind of like what the contortionist does but but keeping the brutal edge on it whereas contortionist just kind of dropped the brutal edge after a while i think i think blood has been shed is the band that could step up and, and really do it. it it's kind of funny because i feel like at the time and you know i, I kind of made point at this initially with just how far ahead of this the sound you know that those guys were and i mean you had bands like aftershock you had blood has been shed you had you know overkill overkill you had a uh, overcast and so <laughs> forth and, and everyone kind of you know was doing their thing with it but i think blood has been shed was kind of the one that i think if they could have kept going i think really would have been the one that pushed the genre further than most in that that scene because of the the technicality they were bringing the atmospherics they were starting to incorporate you know for as much as i i, I say and i i hope people who are maybe not as big of blood has been shed fans as you and i are i I can't stress it enough how important I think this band was and how overlooked I feel like they are for a lot of the quote-unquote genty stuff that we're seeing now with I mean they may not be as flashy as an animals as leaders or a periphery with the 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 melodic leads and so forth but I think as far as the off-time signature shit and the way that they approached the songwriting I think you can't help but see that and if you know some of the bands that we're mentioning now are as big as they are there's no way i don't feel like that blood has been shed wouldn't be equally as big if they could have continued on agreed i mean and i know you say that like yeah it's not as crazy or boisterous as like modern bands in the same style but that's just because they didn't continue you know i think we would have seen a lot of that innovation happen had the band stayed on track which is not a slight to the band or anything i totally understand why and if you don't understand why then go back and listen to that interview because it, it pretty much pretty it pretty much explains it word for word step by step how they ended up where they were and i i understand that and it's funny Corey actually sent me an email too at my disgust metal dan and i never responded to it i feel like a dick so sorry sorry Corey. i'll uh i'll send you something here soon um if you want to talk about some noodly band on my other podcast we, we could do that um but anyway uh yeah i think that uh i i think that it would have been super atmospheric but like have a lot of really unexpected shit go down like with one thing I like about what has been shed is they don't go on for too long. No, like a lot of the proggy band, like more proggy bands that I listen to, they're not they're not like self indulgent. No, no, I think, and I think that's kind of. I haven't figured out how much of that is due to the fact that Howard is not a musician because I feel like a lot of the bands where you see that the vocalist is an instrumentalist in some capacity, whether he's a guitar player, a bassist, a keyboardist, or whatever. So he at some point also gets to indulge in that side of the music instrumental part of things whereas i feel like having strictly a vocalist who that's all he does i feel like maybe grounds some of that from just becoming you know a fucking masturbatory self-indulgent festa you know for lack of a better word sure no i get it and i i think that i think that they kind of set an example for like this is how far you can go without completely alienating your fan base and going into like straight prog metal or dream theater type territory yeah um you know i i think it's it's time to kind of start wrapping this up uh in light of how short and sweet the howard jones episode was i feel like uh that was the appetizer to the main dish that was uh the chat we just did with uh cory so with all that being said uh if you want to keep up with cory well you can't um 
He doesn't really have socials, so sorry. And uh, if you would like to keep up with Blood Has Been Shed, they also don't really exist on any socials, so sorry. Um, but if you'd like to keep up with Metal Nexus, you can find them at MetalNexus.net, Facebook at Metal Nexus, Instagram at Metal.Nexus, Twitter at Metal underscore Nexus. Dan will tell you where he can be found, because he is actually on the internet. I'm all over the internet, man. I'm on, I'm on fucking Twitter at Discuss Metal Dan. I'm on Facebook under Daniel Terry or Discography Discussion. Uh, I'm also on Gmail in a couple of places. You can send me an email at show at gmail.com or DiscussMetalDan at gmail.com, although, as I said, I probably won't respond to that one, so... Maybe try the other one, but uh, I'll respond to one of them. And uh, you know, you unless can, your name's Corey Younger, I can be found on Discord. You know, I can be found everywhere. So, like, if you just uh, if you look for me, I'm I'm there, baby. And if you would like to keep up with all things this podcast, you can find us simply enough at Bruce Speak Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out our YouTube. Uh, as you heard here, you never know who will uh, be commenting in the comment section or what you'll see. Uh, we have some videos of the interviews we've done. Otherwise, there's just kind of, you know, there's a picture of the podcast logo and you get to hear our beautiful voices uh, talk for longer than maybe you want to. Um, speaking of all that, though, wherever you listen to the podcast, please do us a favor. Rate, review, subscribe. Share the episode. Uh, if you see it on Facebook, Twitter, whatever, it uh, goes a long way. And uh, if you would like to support us monetarily, if you are so uh, giving, uh, then head on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Uh We got some cool stuff over there. Check it out. And as I said uh, in the intro, we have some enamel pins that are uh, being worked on. So hopefully by the time this comes out, those will be up. Head on over to our Facebook page or wherever. And there should be a link probably to uh, purchase one of those. And for the Brutally Speaking podcast, I am John. And I am Dan. And we will talk to you all next time.